following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Happy Easter, everyone. Um, what a great sound it is to hear everybody singing and singing those songs. Um, you know, a moment ago, we kind of assumed some reasons why you might be here, whether it was a family member or this is your church or you're invited by somebody. Um, or you just you just happen to see our church. Lots of reasons why you could be here. I want to tell you why why we're here this morning. We are here because we believe that out of an overflow of God's love and mercy, He created the universe, and He created human beings uh, to be like Him in His image. And at the end of creation, He looked upon creation and said, "It is very good." And God delighted in all that He had made and all that He had created. And we believe that that God created them, the, the first humans, Adam and Eve, and he, complete, he, com, he made them, created them in complete freedom of relationship with Him, complete joy and complete love with Him. And instead of keeping that relationship and trusting in God, they chose to rebel against God. And the result of this rebellion was utter catastrophe. And Adam represented mankind, and this catastrophe passed down to to all of his descendants, this guilt and this shame of rebellion. And we believe that God would have been completely just, completely fair in letting us continue in that course of history, but he didn't. Instead, he he rushed into the chaos. He set in motion a plan to save his people from themselves and their own sin. And from Genesis on, through the rest of the Bible, we see this unfolding of this wonderful plan of rescue. The plan hinged on God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be born a true man, living a perfect life, bearing the penalty of our sin and dying in our place. The Bible says this in the most most famous place, John 3:16, that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave his son for us. We believe that Jesus lived, that he died, he was buried, and on that Sunday after his crucifixion, he rose from the dead. He actually, truly, really rose from the dead and is alive today. We are here because Jesus is alive, because he is our hero, because he is the hero, the hero of history. Because Jesus is alive today, then we have such a tremendous cause for encouragement. This means that everything that Jesus ever said, everything that he has said about himself, about us, about the hope that we can have in relationship with him and reconciled friendship with him, a bond of unity and peace with God, is true. And it is so profoundly encouraging that the Bible says that knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection is better than anything in the whole world. Anything in the whole world. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection is better than anything. And so let's focus this morning on on our scripture for today. And I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3. Here is the Apostle Paul. He's written most of the New Testament. He's writing to Christians, uh, this church that he helped start. And he's describing his, his response to the resurrection, his pursuit of knowing Christ in the resurrection. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This focused pursuit, this passionate zeal, this singular desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You know, from time to time, I get emails or phone calls uh, from people looking to visit Holy Cross Church. And ahead of their visit, they want to know a little bit more about the church, about what we do, about what we believe, and maybe even about, about me. They want to know about the pastor a little bit. And so in this particular instance, I remember it very clearly because it was, uh, you'll, you'll see in a moment why it was so bizarre. Um, got an email, I followed up with a phone call, and uh, this woman wanted to meet before a service one morning. And so I kept my eyes open. I was in the welcome area, keeping my eyes open for someone I didn't recognize and saw a woman I had never seen before. And so I went up to her and I said hello to her. I said, hi, my name is Pete. And she replies, oh, your name is Pete. Great to meet you. Uh, Your name's Pete, just like the pastor. (laughs) And I said, that's very true. She said, we've been corresponding this week and talking on the phone and emailing. and, And I was hoping to meet him this morning before the service got started. And I, and I said, well, that's me. I mean, what do you say at this point? Uh, <laughs> that's me. I'm Pete. I am him. I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. You're, you're talking to him. Congratulations. You, you have arrived. And she said, you're not going to believe what she says next. No, you're not. No, you're not. She says, you can't be him. You're, you're too young. The, the guy I was talking to is much, much older, much, much more handsome, whatever it was. I can't, I can't remember what she was saying. And then she says, are you sure there's not another pastor here named Pete? (laughs) Well, eventually we figured it all out, and she reconciled with the fact that I was him, and she never returned. And so don't worry, (laughs) I'm not not talking about you, no one here. Now, in a sense, and in a very small sense, she she knew the pastor. In, In a sense, she knew me. She knew information about me. She she knew my name, probably my history, the history of the church. She knew where I studied seminary. She knew how many children I have. Basically, everything on the website, she knew, which is ironic because my picture is right there, too. <laughs> but in another sense, I also know me because I am he. And not only that, I, I know my secrets. I know my experiences. I know my life. And much, much more than that, I know who I am. And no one knows me more than me. Knowing a person is, is complex. It's different than just knowing a book or, or knowing a movie and knowing about something. There is no one more complex than God. And knowing him is such a complex endeavor. Knowing him goes beyond knowing things about him and knowing information about him. And this is Paul's lifelong pursuit, to go beyond the knowing about Christ and actually knowing him, and specifically the power of his resurrection. I want to go beyond knowing him and who he is and what he has done. I want to experience him. 
It is one thing to know Christ, and yet it is another thing to know him in the context of the resurrection. Here's the difference. The difference between knowing Christ and knowing the power of his resurrection is the difference between knowing him and experiencing him. It is the difference between getting a postcard from a friend on the beach and seeing a picture of the ocean and actually being in the ocean and swimming in that ocean. It is a difference between knowing a person and actually becoming like that person. And Paul is saying it is if you truly understand and know the resurrection of Christ, you don't just believe it, but you experience it. There is a resurrection in your life. There is a newness in your life. There is a spiritual birth in your life that, that influences everything in your life. It becomes a fountain that, t- that flows forth life and touches everything that you do. And I want to know that. I want to know Christ in that way. That this life is brewing within me and it's touching everything in my path. That is what I want to know, that power, that ability, that newness of life. What does this power look like? Well, this power, it really comes down to simple financial accounting. And I'll make sense here. It's, a, it's accounting, a subject that I came to really hate while studying at the U of A. I was a freshman, it was accounting 101, and they said, you'll do fine, I was told. It's debits and credits, it's simple, it's easy. Debits and credits, I was told. Just, it'll be easy. Just get it out of the way, get it in your bag, you'll be fine. After one semester of accounting, I came to know another term that they had at the U of A, and that was grade replacement opportunity. (laughs) GRO. Pretty great if you received a grade in a class and you didn't like it, you could take the class again, and they would replace that grade with, with the new grade. And I thought, well, what... When I find out about this, this is great. Let's do it. How about accounting 101? Accounting straightforward, isn't it? Debits and credits. The debit column and the credit column. It's a, a, an addition or subtraction of value, and that's all that it is. Paul is describing what he has come to know about salvation, that there are two columns, that there's an addition and a subtraction to salvation. The debit column represents all the things that we have no value in adding to our salvation with God. The credit column Uh, represents all the things that we add to our salvation with God, all the things that add up to value that contributes to our salvation. And you know what our natural tendency is for anybody, for Christians even? Our natural tendency is to get in the credit column as high as possible. All of our righteousness, all the good things, all the things that we can work towards, all the things that, that God would look upon and say, this is good, you're doing well, congratulations, this is what I want for you. And the debit column as low as possible. We want to get the debit column as low as possible, the credit column as high as possible. And Paul has come to learn something about the accounting, about this accounting of salvation. That everything that we add, everything that we add of our own ability unto salvation is actually in the debit column. He says, I count it all loss compared to the surpassing work of knowing Christ Jesus. What's in the credit column? Paul comes to realize what is in what is the things that, the things that add to the value of knowing Christ and finding favor with him and enjoying him, Christ and the power of his resurrection and that's it. The accounting that the gospel offers is this. God says, "I will take your guilt and you will take my righteousness. I will take all of your debit and you will take all of my credit." Everything that you have been accounting for, 
that would please me has turned out to actually be a disadvantage. It has brought upon a curse. It has, it has actually pushed you further from God. The only thing of value is Christ and the power of his resurrection. And Paul says, then that's what I want to know. And I want my life to be about that. It is one thing to believe that Jesus loves you in a general way and another thing to experience his love, his transforming, unending, powerful love. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection is a matter of experiencing God flipping the ledger of your life. Knowing Christ is a matter of seeing where we have previously put our hope and hoping that God would look upon us with favor and seeing that all of those things are actually worthless. And what we thought was worthless and weak is actually powerful. Like death and suffering and struggle and loss. These are the things that actually are good. God's agenda is found in Jesus. When we ask, what is important to you, God? What do you desire What do you look for? His agenda is found in Jesus. What is important to knowing God is we must look to Jesus. The Bible tells us something about the purpose of life that is extremely countercultural, that we cannot find it through self-realization. If we know ourselves well, we might think, if we know ourselves well, then we will know how to encounter every situation that is thrown at us with poise. If we truly go inside and look at ourselves and know us really well, how we tick, how we feel, our temperaments, our experiences, and getting better at becoming a better person, then we will encounter life better. And Paul says, I did that, I did all that. And in fact, I did that better than anybody who has ever lived. I have done that. I'm, I'm the best at everything that I do. And it didn't move me any closer to God. And the Bible tells us, knowing Jesus, that is the aim of a follower of Christ. That is the pursuit. That is the zeal and passion of a follower of Christ. And the sooner that we come to realize the main point of our being is knowing God, knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, then all the complexities of life will begin to fall into their proper place. We will see them with new lenses and new glasses, and we will see them as God intends for us to see them when our pursuit is on Christ. The resurrection is the greatest display of God's power, the greatest display of life as it's meant to be lived. And he gives the same power to us. And, and Christianity is not something that we take up. It's something that takes us up. It is not a hobby. You know, if you want to improve something, you take a class. If you want to be better at, you know, woodworking or basket weaving or photography or accounting, whatever it is, you, you get better at that. And you go and you take a class and you learn. They all have one thing in common. This improvement begins with you. But Christianity says something completely flipped, completely, utterly opposite, that you cannot be a Christian by making yourself one. Paul says, I want to know this power, this power that comes into my life and changes me. This power that, this love, this purpose, this miracle, this love that came down and rescued me from myself. I want to know that because I have been trying to make myself something pleasing to God my entire life. And all the while, God is now showing me that it is he who is making me something. I cannot make myself this. But look at what Jesus has done. He bore my sin. When I, all, the, all of my false pursuits 
and all of that evil and all that wickedness, God poured that out on Christ. He died my death. He took my guilt and he rose from the dead and he now gives me that power to know Christ, to know him, the righteousness of God. How do we respond to this ledger flipping? We run with an unhindered pursuit towards Christ, knowing him. We've run towards him. We have a singular aim, a singular passion, by which all other passions and all other loves find their meaning. A Christian is a person who is aware that they have been taken hold of by Christ. A Christian is a person who is aware that they have been loved in spite of their failures. A Christian is a person who is becoming more and more like Jesus because of the power of the resurrection being manifested in that person's life. We may be religious, we may be spiritual, but we are not Christian unless the power of the resurrection has apprehended us and made us new. The minute you decide to receive Christ as your Savior, turning from your old hope of self-realization and self-improvement and turning towards Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It is the power of the resurrection. It is the same power, not diluted in one ounce, that raised Jesus from the dead. The same exact power that brought a dead man to life is in all who believe. Isn't that amazing? It is the same power that is transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus from one degree of of glory to another. To know Christ and the power of the resurrection is to be united with him by faith, spiritually alive and transformed. And this process goes on forever, from the moment we believe to forever. And even, and here's the promise and the hope in the resurrection, that even death cannot stop that. If anything, death perfects it. Isn't that amazing? Death perfects the process of life. This is what Paul says, I want to become like you. He says, I want to become like you, Jesus, in your death. I want to know you in your death, in your suffering. Isn't that strange? Isn't that a strange thing to say? Now we can get, it's no surprise that Paul would say, I want to know you in your resurrection. I want to know that power. I want to know that life. No surprise there. But it's a little surprising for him to say, and I want to know you in your death. Because the cross is the gateway to life. This is the irony of the Christian faith and the irony of the death of Christ. Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you to live. I am going to secure life for you, but first I must die. What? How? That does not sound like the proper steps to take in order to secure life. But this is the gateway into life, is death. The death we experience is the death of all forms of self-salvation, a death of all things previously placed in the credit column. It is a death to all of those things. It is a death to self. It is a death to sin. It is identifying with Christ in his crucifixion. Saying, as you have bore sin on the cross and put them to death, that that wage war against you, I put to death in my body, in my flesh, all these sins, all of these, these things in the credit column that I have been pursuing. I turn from them. I crucify them. I pick up my cross and follow you. I turn, turn to life as I trust in you. And it's a terrifying thing to know Jesus the way the Bible tells us to know him. 
But Jesus says we must do it. And if we identify in his suffering, we will identify with him in his life. That is the great hope. Paul's teaching gives us something far greater than an example to imitate. He gives us, he calls us to be crucified, to be buried, and to be raised to new life. And because Jesus is alive today, everything that he has said, everything that he has promised, everything that he has said about the hope that we have in him is true. Christ's saving work has accomplished so much. And we rest in this resurrection. We rest in the power of his resurrection. When we focus less on what we need to do to amass a righteousness that is pleasing to God and focus more on what he has done for us. That he lived, that he died, and that he's alive today. The credit he gives to us by faith. This is what the Bible says. That when we trust in him by faith, it is credited to us as righteousness. We become the righteousness of God. I hope that Jesus has been made known to you. I hope that he is continually made known to you. I hope that you live in the power of this resurrection. And because Jesus is alive today, Jesus isn't just an example. He's not just this really great example that we ought to pursue and live by. It means that we can actually have a relationship with him, a living and personal and intimate relationship with God. That he lives within us and the power of his resurrection moves us, changes us, makes us new. And this ought to be our singular passion, our singular purpose. You know, Jesus is made known to us in, at the table, at the Lord's Supper. And at Holy Cross every week during our worship, we participate in this brief meal called the Lord's Supper. Every time we participate in this meal, we remember the cross. Maybe you're familiar with a story in the book of Luke. Shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, a couple of his followers, some uh, peripheral followers who had known him and followed his ministry and had trusted in him, they were walking along a road. And they, as you can imagine, it was Sunday morning, and they were burdened. Their heads were low, their faces were long, and they were saying, we just don't get it. What had happened? We put our trust in him. We were following him. We thought he was our hope. And Jesus shows up on the road with them. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And it says that they didn't recognize him at first. Jesus had a glorified body, and he, he, they didn't recognize him. And he says, well, we, we were following this guy, Jesus, and we really trusted that he was the one to save us, to give us life, and to, to rescue us from all oppression and all shame, and, and, and reconcile us with God the Father. And then he died, and he's, it's been three days now. And then, he's, and then they continue to walk, and... And Jesus says, well, why don't we go and why don't we eat together? And so they invite him over to their house to eat. And he takes bread and he breaks the bread. And it says, the Bible says that in the moment that he broke the bread, their eyes were open and they saw Jesus. And everything that they had realized, everything that they had seen, everything that they had read in the scriptures were now made clear. And in a moment, Jesus left. But what he left was something. He left their eyes open. You see, Jesus is made known in the, in, the, in the meal. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, his body and blood, Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I, my body was broken for you in your place. You rebelled against God and you had the guilt of, of sin, but I took on that guilt for you. It was a substitute. You take my credit and I will take your debit. 
And he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I welcome you guys to this table, this supper together. If you trust in Christ, if you have come to a place of realizing that, wow, I have, my credit column was so high and, and my, weak, my debit column was so low and God flipped it. And now all that I have in my credit column is Christ and Him crucified, the power of His resurrection. That is my hope. That is my joy. That is my love and pursuit is knowing Him. And all of my things that I had before that I trusted in, those things are lost. Those things are second. Those things are worthless compared to knowing Christ. Then participate in this meal and know that as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you are proclaiming Christ until he returns. Because Jesus is alive and he is coming back. And he is perfecting his bride, his church, those who trust in him, those whom he has died for. And we will be forever united with him. And every time we take of this, we are one day closer to being face to face with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If you have yet to come to know this, this joy, this power of the resurrection, I encourage that this would be the day that you do that. That you, entrust, that you would trust in Christ, that you would acknowledge in your heart, like the people uh, sitting at the table, that you would have your eyes open saying, yes, I have, that credit column is so high and I've been pursuing that and it is exhausting. And yet, even though I've been doing all of these things, I still feel just short of what God desires of me. And you would allow this truth, the power of his resurrection, that he died for you, that you, guess what? You are the sinner that Jesus died for because he loves you. And death could not keep him, and he's alive today. And because of that, we have new life in him. Let's pray for our meal together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for preparing this meal for us in, in, the, in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your Son. That you did not leave us to yourself ourselves. You did not leave us towards this path of corruption and guilt and shame, alienation from you, but you rushed into our chaos. You rushed into, you broke history open, became a man, dwelt among us, and you died for us. Nothing could hold you from that, and nothing could hold you in the grave. And now, Jesus, you have returned to the glory with the Father that was yours before you became a man, and you are now exalted high, seated on the throne, and we invite you to be uh, king of our hearts and our lives. Be with us in this meal, that it would not just be a, a commemoration, that it would not just be a meal that we remember you by, but it would be a meal that truly empowers us to believe the good news, to trust in Jesus, to be enabled to live a life pleasing to you, as we turn from our sin and towards you in faith. Strengthen us, Lord Jesus. Let the power of your resurrection be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.